Welcome listeners to this podcast of Shooting from the Hip. I'm Jeff Pedro in with Mark Avery and we're from Sim Trainers at Dayton Area's first indoor range and firearms training center. We specialize in all types of training, but we uh, are probably the Dayton Area's only facility where we offer a, a wide array of advanced training. If you're interested in finding out what we have to offer, you can visit our website at sim-trainer.com. You can stop by our range, which is located at 2031 Dryden Road, Moraine, or you can give us a call on the phone at 293-3914, and we'd be more than glad to discuss with you any of, our, any of your firearms-related needs or interests. Um, if you have any questions or comments about something, some of the issues we raised on this show or previous shows, please feel free to go out to our website, again, at sim-trainer.com, and in the contact section, go ahead and click that tab, and you can send us a message, and we'd be more than glad to respond to you. And uh, as I've mentioned before, if it's an issue that needs um, attention and maybe be brought to the broader audience, we'll be sure to bring it up on a subsequent show because this show is all about guns, gun-related issues, concerns you have, concerns we have, and we certainly want to get uh, uh, people's opinions and, and try to have a healthy, hearty debate about many issues that are floating around there. Um, as we mentioned when we began the, the podcast format several weeks ago, uh, we said that each week we were going to try to pick a specific topic and address that specific topic. And last week, Mark and I had a, a pretty hearty discussion relative to the fallout from the incident that occurred in uh, the horrific incident that occurred in uh, Las Vegas where an individual um, used a, uh, a series of, of firearms to kill 58 people. And uh, we, we talked about some of the issues that had been brought up in the news relative to the accessory referred to as a bump stock that was used in at least a portion of that uh, criminal act and um, some of the issues pertaining to whether they should be um, left alone, whether uh, legislation should curtail their use, whether the ATF should explore uh, whether or not the, the, the item meets the definition of a legal device um, or any of a number of other issues. But if you have the opportunity, please go back and review the podcast um, from last week, uh, which would have been um, on the 14th, Mark. Is that right? It would have been the... Yeah, I think it was posted on Monday. Yeah, so that would have been so, the 16th. Yeah, so um, the, the, the previous podcast to this week, and you'll be, get some good insight. What I wanted to do this week, again, I tried to devote it to one topic, but then when I was looking for things to discuss, um, one thing after another came rolling in. So this is going to kind of be a potpourri of several topics um, because some of them just absolutely turned me inside and out. And I want to start out with the one that I, I mentioned to Mark right before, before we went on the air. I heard that there was a gun, an anti-gun group, and I didn't remember or I didn't hear if they even reported it, who it was, who was critiquing and criticizing the NRA for offering self-defense insurance, claiming that such insurance is murder insurance. Now, you're probably as stunned as I am. You're like, what are they talking about? And, and my, my other question is, where have they been? Um, insurance is available in a wide number of uh configurations for a wide number of activities and insurance relative to self-defense has been around for many years. There are many other organizations like the United States Concealed Carry Association. Um, there's a, a group out of Texas, which I can't remember. Uh, it's uh, CHLPP, okay. uh, the Concealed Handgun License Protection Plan. Yes. And um, uh, right here in our own home state, Second Call Defense down in uh, Westchester offers the insurance then... Um, Gun Owners Legal Defense, Gold yes. is another one in, in Ohio, and then uh, there's the Armed Citizens Legal Defense Network, and uh, the NRA has actually been offering 
personal protection insurance since, well, the first time I looked at it was when Ohio got concealed carry back in 2004. And that was at the time really the only program available. And I know that it had been in place for some time before that. It was expensive. It was very limited coverage, but it was all that was available. And it's just increased in in variety and in capability and in uh, the what is available to people who need to, to to be able to protect themselves and to be able to cover the legal expenses after the fact. Yeah, and in many of those other states that have had concealed carry for many years before the 2004 implementation in the state of Ohio, there are probably many other organizations and, and we're, we're kind of behind the times in that area because I'm sure that they've had that capability. But I wanted to just think about, why don't you just think about this? The concept of insurance, particularly relative to self-defense, is very, very important. Maybe as, if not more important than auto insurance, because what happens here, once you pull the trigger, you immediately become the suspect in a criminal homicide. Then the issue is whether or not the homicide was justified. In other words, were your actions truly in self-defense in um, concurrence with the elements that uh, are required for you to raise the self-defense um, uh, assertion in court uh, but immediately you know you're treated as a suspect and it's important that you have the ability to get the legal help that you need and for those of you that have got a lawyer for anything you know legal help is very expensive and in the case of uh, self-defense use in the use of a firearm the experts that we've had on this show on previous occasions say that those bills can go be anywhere from five thousand dollars for the initial uh, uh, you know, initial actions that the lawyers take all the way up to fifty to a hundred thousand dollars by the time it's all said and done, or more. Yeah, and and to be clear, that is extremely true in Ohio because Ohio is the last state that does not automatically recognize your right to self defense, and if you're not in your home or in your vehicle, you are have you do have to defend. It is an affirmative defense only. There's, there is, and, and, and you are the one who has to prove that it was justified as opposed to the prosecutor having to prove that it was not justified self-defense. And Ohio is the only state in the union that still has that provision. Arizona was the last one, and they got rid of it several years ago. The NRA has taken the lead for many years now in providing a variety of different types of insurance. My first experience with NRA insurance was when I in, in, in insured my own gun collection because what many people don't realize is that in many cases, your home insurance that you buy, your, your standard um, home protection insurance doesn't cover certain things. And it, it, it has limits in, in other areas. So that's one area. The other area, once I got affiliated, once I became a range owner, I had a couple of different things. Obviously, I have to have um, insurance at the range in the case that there would be an accident. And then I also have to have insurance for the instructors because while we're teaching, if uh, something happens and somebody wants to file suit against one of our instructors, we have to make sure that we have insurance to protect them against any sort of uh, civil litigation in most cases. But the whole concept of insurance been around for a long time. Um, it's nothing new to the gun world. And for them to make that statement, I have to say I was driving and I, I almost had to pull over and stop and kind of regain my faculties because it surprised me that someone would make the claim. And then not only the claim that they were surprised there was insurance, but then to make the assertion that it's murder insurance, insuring people who commit murder. It just was utterly ridiculous. Yeah, and, and there, is, there is nothing that stops this anti-gun crowd from taking whatever spin they can come up with in order to make their case because they can't make their case based on fact 
and logical progression and and making taking the 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 reality of the situation and making a case based on that they have to make a case based on spin based on arguments based on emotional appeal and of course using a term like murder brings tremendous emotional response and that's exactly their objective yeah that's exactly what they want to do well, you know kind of as I'm going through the week, and I've, I've talked about how I recommend you, and then I, I have tried to practice also not spending a whole lot of time watching the news because of all the nonsense that's being put out there. Well, I sometimes have it as background noise. Well, there was a couple of other occasions when I heard the incident down in um, uh, Maryland, unfor- another unfortunate ex- incident, workplace uh, violence, where a ex-employee came back and killed three people, critically injured two others, and I think he went to another location. And I'm not sure if he killed or injured somebody, but was in- involved in another incident, and then the police eventually forced him to surrender, and he was taken into custody. Now, in that particular case, I bring it up because you have an individual who has had multiple previous uh, convictions, including up to 15 felony convictions. So undoubtedly, he was not lawfully in possession of a firearm in the first place. He committed the most heinous act in society, murder, uh, multiple murders. Uh, he violated all kinds of laws there. He um, undoubtedly additional laws were violated when he went across state lines and he was fleeing after committing these crimes. And I don't know how many uh, crimes they're going to throw against him. But the point I want to make is these people who in the aftermath of the terrible incident out in Las Vegas continue to uh, move for more laws. Somehow they think more laws are going to solve these and other crimes. And it's just another example where time and time and time again, that is not the case, but they don't look at the reality, Mark, and it's just unfortunate. I suspect most of the people who follow this show are well aware, but he had previous felonies, which automatically makes him a prohibited possessor. So he could not legally possess a firearm. He wouldn't be able to purchase one from a dealer, but he wouldn't be able to legally purchase one from anyone else either. So to even possess a firearm is another felony, and the federal charges on that would carry a 10-year sentence. Yes. And this person had firearms in possession as a felon and then did the kinds of things that a criminal is going to do and yet we want to say, let's pass more laws because the ones that we have aren't getting the job done. Well, it's not the laws, and it's not possible for a law to stop someone who refuses to consider the law in the decision of what they're going to do. Well, Mark, I'm aware of another case that I can't comment a whole lot on right now because I just got preliminary information from WHIO and some of the local news channels this morning about a local case where an individual, again, who was prohibited from uh, possessing a firearm Uh, had a firearm and there was an unfortunate outcome to his having that firearm. Now, my my point I want to make, because we don't have all the details and um, uh, many of you probably know what I'm referring to, but I'm not one that wants to jump out and talk about things. And the chief of that police organization made a very good comment today. He goes, I'm not going to make any comments because we're in the preliminary stages of our investigation. And unlike all the other stuff that's going on around the country, I don't want people to run with tidbits of information that was not, maybe not even asserted or was misinterpreted. And then all of a sudden it becomes uh, what actually occurred. So we don't have all the facts, but suffice is to say, here's what we do know. If you are not permitted to own a firearm, then you shouldn't have a firearm in your possession. And if by chance you violate that law and the police happen upon you, you should not 
possess that firearm and pick up that firearm and point it in the direction of the police officer. So with that said, I, I, again, I want to just get back to the original point because I don't want to elaborate on this particular case because there's um, uh, unknown facts, but uh, just preliminary information. Suffice it to say, we could enact five laws, 10 laws, 50 laws, 100 laws, 1,000 more laws, and the people aren't going to obey any of them because as Mark so eloquently states, criminals by nature, by definition, violate and break the law on a regular basis. That's what a definition of a criminal is, one who violates or breaks the law. So they're not going to pay attention to it, and it just continues to be a, a, a situation where um, the people who are calling for more gun laws just are not in touch with what's really going on. But the good thing is people like our listeners, they understand the issues. They understand that there are deeply rooted issues besides gun control that are driving these people to do the things they're doing, and that's where they need to focus their time and energy and deal with individuals who commit heinous acts rather than what they commit them with and other circumstances that are extraneous to the preliminary or the primary investigation. Well, that, that's a really good point because the whole concept of making a gun illegal or making some feature on a gun illegal to possess isn't going to change the behavior of someone who is determined to do bad things. It doesn't make any difference whether they have a bump stock or whether they have a fully automatic weapon or if they just decide to pull the trigger real fast. If they're going to do something evil with that firearm, they're going to do something evil and, it's, and if they can't get a firearm, they'll get something else to do it with. Now, some people will argue, well, you can't kill as many people in as short a time with a machete as you can. That, that's a ridiculous argument. I'm not argue, I'm not going to dispute the, the truth of it, but it's not the point. The point is somebody who wants to do something evil is going to do evil, and they are going to find whatever tool they can to make their evil happen easier for them and at less risk to them. Now, yeah. We, yeah, it's just, I mean, the whole thing of, of saying, well, we're going to make something illegal in order to make everybody safer, it doesn't work. It just simply doesn't work. And the whole, uh, the whole drive in various legislatures, and there's one going on right now in Ohio as well, as the one that was uh, introduced in the uh, U.S. Congress to basically relating to bump stocks and the rate of fire, some of those things the way that the laws are written, they would make every semi-automatic weapon illegal because it can be fired more quickly than a bolt action, and therefore you have something that can be make the, the gun fire faster. We've had semi-automatic weapons or weapons that have been able to fire multiple rounds without having to manually reload them since the Revolutionary War. And people don't necessarily understand that, and that is that really is, in fact, the case. Well, you know, Mark, um, really, when we talk about some of the incidents, it's a combination of the way the media covers certain things, but it also, uh, there's something, and I don't know what it is. I think back to the um, Texas Tower incident in the late 60s where Charles Whitman got up on the tech, uh, tower, on the, the clock tower on the University of Texas campus, and he rained down um, bold action sniper rifle fire for almost an hour on the people in that community. I think he killed 13 and injured another 18 or 20 before two heroic off-duty police officers managed to get up to the clock tower, confront him, one with a shotgun, one with a uh, uh, six-shot revolver. And I was fortunate to do a personal interview with one of the two officers who was uh, involved in that final bringing that situation to resolution. Their acts were heroic. And you look back at what 
what makes those people tick, what makes them do the things that they do. And since that time, it seems, again, uh, the media reports on a lot of different things. So prior to the, the mid to late 60s, I can remember, you know, we had ABC, NBC, and CBS. I remember Walter Cronkite giving the news report of the deaths in, in Vietnam and, and some other things. And then the Watergate scandal got a lot of attention. And, and I remember as a young kid, I thought it was ironic that they were wasting all that TV time just watching these congressmen sit and listen to, you know, people talk about, you know, testimony after testimony. And maybe that was the beginning of it. But the point I want to make here is um, there have been things like this happening for 50, 60 years now. And like Mark mentioned, the same kind of guns have existed. And it's the motivations of these people that we need to look at. And they're, they're different. It seems like each case, there are different motivations. Now, the most recent incident, based on what we know, which isn't a whole lot, we, we don't know what the motivation was. We don't know all the circumstances. And maybe that's a good thing right now because the police and the federal law enforcement agencies are trying to do the best they can to compile, compile an accurate investigation to give us facts as opposed to going with premature theories as to what might have occurred. They have theories, I'm sure, but that's not something that we should know about. It's just like the tragic incident down in, is it Niger? Um, we don't know all the details there. I just saw a headline where it might have been a case of mistaken identity, uh, whatever the case was. Um, you know, when we go off to the military, or our, our, our sons and our daughters go off to the military, and Mark, you were in the military for 20 plus years, I don't think the military has an obligation to let us know as family members what our kids and our loved ones are doing each and every minute and why they're where they're at. Now, I do think then when something happens, the families get a reasonable explanation. But that's not always an explanation that is going to be um, fully internalized and, and understood by everybody. But, uh, you know, we, they go off and they do certain things and things happen or they don't happen. We've had people come down to the to the range. They've been members of special forces. They've got very limited uh, ability to expose or, or to give us details about what occurs. But they, they tell us the things that happen and we got okay, we'd like to know more, but we don't get it. And I'm sure in your case, the same thing happened. You probably weren't even allowed to tell your wife or daughter or your children some of the things that you were involved in. Yeah, but I mean, that's but that's the nature of anybody that's in an environment where there's a high security requirement. And yeah. so you don't give out that kind of information from an operational security standpoint. It's important that nobody or as few people as uh, are absolutely necessary know what's going on until it's over because the more people that know the more risk there is of yeah. information getting out and, and, and the, the point i was going to make in this particular reference. in this particular case the the incident out in las vegas the police have to be careful what they release and what was really this let this week again another item that came across the news was the security card disappeared and then a few days later he shows up on ellen generous show given an interview which Quite frankly, I watched only because I wanted to hear the content. We learned nothing more than we already have limited information about prior to that time. And I'm, I'm just thinking, I imagine what the law enforcement officers are thinking about this individual who disappears and goes off the radar and then suddenly shows up on national television. And I, I have to say, just based on what I saw and the way the way the comment went, I think that that network and that show was more interested in having an individual who was involved in that on the show that they could promote that for rating purposes than they were about trying to get accurate information out to the people like the rest of us citizens who are concerned about what actually happened. And that's unfortunate that we're at that point. 
I want to shift gears just a little bit, but again, something in the news. Um, those people who know me and have known me for a long time, uh, as a young kid, all the way up through high school, into college, and into my you know probably mid-adult years, I was an avid uh, college and professional sports fan. Um, for those of you that are in my age, you probably remember Roger Staubach versus Terry Bradshaw, the Steelers versus the uh, Cowboys back in the 70s, and Magic Johnson versus Larry Bird basketball in the 80s, and Reggie Jackson versus Bob Welsh World Series in the in the late 70s. And I, I mean, I can I can name incident after incident. I, I mean, th- some of the most memorable moments. I remember the the Miracle on Ice when the U.S. Uh, hockey team beat the Russians in 1980, and uh, I, I just get chills thinking about that. I was in my college dorm, and there was no one moving on campus that day. Um, I don't know if anybody went to class that day. I don't know if the professors even showed up. Because everybody it was, was just yeah, yeah everybody was glued, glued to the to television, the and we didn't even go eat that day. We called in for pizza because we didn't want to leave the the TV screen. But uh, um, you know, I can think about all those, and, and relative to the current debate in NFL football. Um, NFL football, people turn it on on Sundays to relax, get away from the week's rigors. It's kind of the end of the weekend and the last respite before gearing up towards the work week that's coming about. Some people probably sit there and and punch away on their laptop while they're casually watching the game, getting ready for the the work week. Whatever the case is, people and other people go out and they have a good time and 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 they they really whoop it up for uh, uh, those games. And it's way to escape it. But now they've turned it like they're turning so many other things into a political arena. And it, it, it it's just uh, it's a debacle. It's unfortunate the way the issues have evolved. And I want to address three things in particular. First of all, the issue about police. Um, abuse of authority. As a 30-year police officer, I feel totally confident standing or talking before you saying that that problem does exist, but is on such a small scale that there are so many other social issues that need attention that it's amazing to me that we are spending the time, resources, and national attention on something that affects so few. Now, don't get me wrong. One incident is wrong. Uh, there was an incident out in uh, Midwest, I believe, where an off-duty or retired police officer um, sought and killed his daughter's boyfriend because he, being Caucasian, didn't want his daughter um, uh, dating an African-American um, man. Now, he got convicted. It took five trials, believe it or not, but he ended up getting convicted, and he deserves whatever penalty uh, based on the evidence and based on the, 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 the criminal act that he was ultimately caused. I don't think they ended up charging him with murder in the fifth, the fifth trial. I think it was uh, either manslaughter or a, a lesser offense. But nonetheless, um, he was charged, he was convicted, and, and those things happen. And those are terrible, terrible cases. And I can think of a few others over the years. The Rodney King case, now I know a lot of people, they have different perspectives because they don't understand the dynamics, but that was kind of the catalyst to some of the things that happened in the 90s on into the early 2000s. Um, then you had the Michael Brown incident out in um, Ball, or, uh, St. Louis that was a totally fabricated uh, situation where uh, the hands up, don't shoot, um, Black Lives Matter movement. The whole thing never happened the never way happened it was that way. Reported. It was falsified, but it got perpetuated as truth. And then in my opinion, as a 57-year-old man, I think that incident did more to disrupt the racial relations in this country than anything in my lifetime. Again, I'm only 57, so I don't remember some of the things as a young child in the 60s 
I'm saying that I am aware of. I know in the 60s there were terrible things that happened too, maybe even in the early 70s, but I was too young to to remember it. As an adult, I have to say it did more to increase the racial divide um, among certain groups, but among the well, groups, and it, and it wasn't just the event, but the way that the event was portrayed, yes. and the way it was reported, and yes. some of the other things that have come up after the fact. I think you know it, it was divisive. There's no question absolutely. about it. Absolutely, and rather than on individuals or um, uh, races or, or uh, uh, ethnic groups, I think the media is a lot to blame. Um, the, the way they have portrayed it, like you said, is the direct. It's direct, has a direct impact on how things play out, and. I think there's a serious consequence from the we've got to be first mentality to the we've got to from the absolutely we have to get it right, uh, which is the way reporting, investigative reporting had always been. It was we have to be right. We must make sure that we vetted all the sources and that we have multiple sources and that we know that the facts are exactly as they're being reported. And now, especially the 24-hour news cycle has driven I think a a move to say it's better to be wrong and out first with the hope of that we're right than it is to be absolutely correct and yeah. and uh, have to wait and maybe I think be third that's or fourth. part of the problem. Yeah. You're, you're exactly right. I experienced that firsthand relative to the bump stocks and the the Las Vegas incident. There were two reporters who they didn't care what the story was. They wanted to see the bump stock because they were running with it beforehand, and I refused. And they gave me a whole lot of riff, but. It's my business. I made the decision about how I was going to give the story. I have dedication here to this studio and this um, uh, station and its affiliate. And so um, uh, Mike got the first shot at it, um, literally and figuratively, because he's been devoted to our organization. And I knew that he was going to follow it from the, the perspective of truth because he told he came to me, he goes, Jeff, where's the story here? What, what, what is this? What exactly is involved here? And we talked. And of course, I can't dictate what he airs or what he copies down, but he did a wonderful story. And um, But the other people, were more, like you said, they were just more interested with going with supposition and throwing stuff out there for dramatics just to be first. And I wasn't going to be, be a part of that. So I'm, I'm thankful that I didn't after the fact. And, and the, the agencies that I've worked with closely, um, they know that that's how we roll. And that, that's a good way. And I, I have to tell you, um, I'm not convinced that a lot of the national um, news organizations uh, care about that. And I think they're more in tune with what Mark said. Many of them want to just go ahead with the glitz and glitter and try to get their story out there. And then they can hopefully make the corrections. And and if they're wrong, it'll just maybe go away and there won't be any fallout. So whatever the case is. But relative to this whole thing about the NFL, um, I, I just wish people would sit back and understand when it comes to the national anthem, um, I've always been of the belief, whether I'm at a football game or any event, and football games are where I've had the most experience as a player and a coach, um, that was a time when you stood at attention and you faced the flag and you put your hand on your heart. And you do that for the reasons that I think are way beyond some of what some people even comprehend. It's, it's for the sacrifices that that flag represents, and the and, and you know this firsthand, Mark, having served for twenty years, and thank you for your 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 service. Um, it, it's it's way more than what people are leading it to believe. And if you want to make a statement, I say to the players that have done that, go out in your communities and make the statement. Take a kid, bring a group of kids to the game, take them to an event, go sit with them, walk the streets, in in in, in opposition to the violence and the. The, the squalor and the, 
the poverty and the things that need to be addressed rather than just use that Sunday afternoon, Thursday night, whatever the time is to to take a knee during the national anthem when all the rest of the country obviously has strong feelings about it. Not only the country, but the overwhelming majority of the players, because I just heard the other day it's now down to only a handful of players who have decided to continue this this activity, but um, it, it's it's divisive, and it's not getting anything accomplished. And I, what makes me mad also is that the the NFL leadership has decided that they're going to go ahead and be vague and ambiguous in the way they're going to enforce it. They talk about the difference about a rule and practice, and 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 it just makes no sense. They they just don't have the the guts to stand up and do what they've been doing all along, and they cave to. Um, some of these uh, ridiculous causes, I think. Uh, if there's social injustice, address the social injustice. Don't stand, don't kneel down on Sunday. And most of the people don't even know what it's all about. Well, the, the problem that I have is that they are using a platform that they didn't pay for, that they're not really, that everybody else that's paying for to watch, and they're using that platform to make a statement. I, I feel about that very much the same way I feel like going to a concert and having the artist that I've paid money to go see make a political statement and and bash what I believe uh, and and alienate half the audience because they want to use their platform as a statement and they think it's their platform. It's not their platform. It was paid by by those people who are attending them, and without those people, there wouldn't be a platform for them to use. And instead of actually doing what they're paid to do, why people paid to come see them, they're doing something else because they feel passionately about it. I'm sorry, shut up and sing. And unfortunately, the, the NFL's finding out the hard way. There's noticeable double-digit decline in number of people attending games and watching games. Again, they've got ways to measure these things, and it's pretty pretty well known right now that there's a noticeable movement away, and it's directly related to this. So here's the bottom line. Whether it's you're, you're uh, protesting, which you perceive to be police uh, excessive force, um, particularly against a certain community, or um, if uh, the, the other cause was um, social injustice, you need to redirect your efforts towards things that can make a difference there. And I, can, I keep referring to week in and week out about Chicago. What's going on in Chicago is a tragedy. It doesn't get talked about on the daily news, the weekly news, the monthly news, and it's going on. I heard the other day they're, they're probably going to move ahead of last year's fatalities. They're over 500 already, and it, it just kind of gets overlooked. And there have been the same sorts of policies, the same sort of practices. Um, the the um, other municipalities have taken more aggressive stances to help curtail New York being um, one of them to help curtail the, the horrific homicide rates in their communities. And we need to start moving in that direction because the other statistic I heard that there are seven or eight cities that constitute less than 10 cities that make up 50% of the homicides in this country. And that's that's terrible when you look at how how, how wonderful this country is, how big this country is, and 10 cities can have that level of violence in 2017. And if you subtract those cities from the statistics, that puts the United States like fourth from the bottom in the world in terms of murder rates. So the vast majority of this country in terms of geographic area fall in that category where you'd rather be here than almost anywhere else in the world from a safety perspective. And those places that are the most dangerous are also the ones that have the most strict gun laws 
the ones that make it the most difficult for the law-abiding citizen to legally possess a firearm to defend themselves should that become necessary. Absolutely. And when you look at um, the, the, the instrument used in many of these are firearms, 80 to 90 percent are firearms, um, but it's not the instrument. It's the individual, their motivation, the living conditions, the social structure. It's all those issues. And for years and years and years, legislatures, politicians have not been able to get a handle on that, but it's easier for them to express an emotional response to something that happens and say, we got to get gun control. We got to address the thing rather than the person and the behavior. And, and we're, we're moving sideways. And, and you notice that in the last week, you haven't heard a whole lot about the situation out in Las Vegas. And because it, it's kind of died down. Now think about this, Mark, how about the horrific or, or the, um, remarkable efforts on the part of emergency personnel, private citizens, uh, the injured to help each other and to get themselves out of harm's way. I heard there were uh, there was a gentleman who pulled his pickup truck up threw two people in the back end and rushed them to the hospital because he knew that they couldn't probably didn't even have a chance to wait because the ambulance hadn't even been called yet. Threw people in the pickup truck, took them to the hospital, and they I don't know what the outcome was, but undoubtedly increased the chances that they were going to save their lives. Those are the stories I want to hear about. Those are the things I want to find out about. What about the heroic acts of all the people? How's the community coming back together? You know, what are the things that they're doing now? Those are the things instead of the nonsense about we got to do away with guns, we got to make uh, bump fires illegal, we've got to look at other things that uh, have um, been involved in uh, the people have used in the commission of crimes, and we got to look at the behavior. But we need to refocus our directive towards positive things instead of all this negativeness, and it's getting us nowhere. It's actually pushing us back, it's pushing us down. It's one of those things that unless we are really focused on what the actual problem is, trying to clearly identify the problem and the cause of the problem, instead of looking at what we can do cosmetically to make a statement or to try to correct something, but you haven't analyzed the problem, so you have no idea if what you're going to do is to make any effect. And even worse, there are those who have actually admitted that what they're doing and what they are proposing would not have had any effect in this particular situation, but we've got to do something. Yeah. No, you don't. You really have to, sometimes the right answer is don't just do something, sit there. Yeah. And, you know, we talked about the need for discussion and, and we, we have problems with that because there are a lot of people who don't understand that the discussion is a two-way flow of information most of which is based on fact, and you have to minimize the amount of emotion. There's going to be emotion involved. When Mark and I sit here and talk back and forth, there's emotion involved. Matter of fact, he's had to train me to not pound on the desk because of my Italian heritage. My hands and arms are flailing. He's threatened to tie me to the chair and bungee cord my arms down, so I'm very careful not to pound because that obviously disrupts the show. Yeah, well, <laughs> actually, I'm not very successful in that, but it's, it, it's getting better. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but we definitely have to, you know, move in the in the right direction and, and try to get some things done with positive discussion based on facts. And until we minimize emotion, uh, you know, emotion can be a part of the discussion, but we got to look at where we're at, where we're going, where we ultimately want to be. And then we got to look at all the factors. Now, uh, each incident has its own relative to the, the mass shootings in this country. And I want to remind our listeners that even with that tragic incident, I think the total number, depending on what data you use, of individuals killed in mass shooting incidents in the United States is still well below 1,000. 
and that, that don't and I'm not doing saying that to minimize it. I'm just saying when we look at a scale, when you've got a thousand people over the last fifty or sixty years that have been killed in mass shootings, and you have five hundred in ten months in the city of Chicago, we got to kind of put things in perspective here, and we got to look things uh, pr- proportional and and try to come up with some resolutions. And forty thousand a year who are killed on the roads. Yes. I mean, you know that that if you really want to talk about what's we, we've become numb to the most severe problems and we focus on the exception because they are the exception well, and they, they grab your attention. Well, now another one that's gaining popularity as far as coverage, and it should, is the opioid crisis in this country. I heard a number in the last couple months uh, that uh, um, in the age group 16 to 24, um, opioid-related deaths have now surpassed traffic deaths as the number one cause of deaths for that, tra- that group of individuals. First time in our history. Think about the implications of that. But that's a personal choice thing. That's something that, that um, has, I mean, I grew up in an area when, when drugs were a problem. It wasn't so much that it was killing people, but they were serious problems. And we did a lot to try to get rid of that. And it was patently unsuccessful. The war on drugs has been a miserable failure. And the problem is that we're fighting the wrong problem. Instead of saying, well, we got to get rid of the drugs, what we need to do is to say, just change the mindset so that, People recognize this is self-destructive behavior, and if you're going to do it, it can kill you, and that's your problem. It's your fault because you chose to do it. And, well, I mean, that, that in a way, I know some people think that sounds unsympathetic, but the, it's a reality well, and a reality check that we really need to say, is the fact that the opioids are out there and that we're going to – we have a problem because of the drugs – the problem is, why are people using drugs? And the biggest problem, in my opinion, is that because the government has decided it's time to get in and try to solve this problem, they've made it far more difficult for people who actually need those medications for medical need to be able to get what they need and to, and to have them to actually mitigate the pain that they're suffering as a result of surgery or as a result of injury. And, and the whole thing then becomes, well, we have to control opioids, and it makes it more difficult for the physicians because they can't even prescribe without getting in all kinds of trouble the, the medications that their patients need in order to deal with certain issues. Well, and you know, Mark, that kind of leads me almost directly to my last point that I wanted to talk about today. And um, another of the news blurbs this last week is that uh, one of the senators in in uh, Pennsylvania withdrew his name from consideration for the drug czar because of a huge controversy over him and several other um, congressmen sponsoring legislation that kind of buzzed right underneath the radar and didn't get a whole lot of attention until an article or a, a piece in 60 Minutes last week where they basically have made it extremely difficult for the, the Drug Enforcement Administration to um, investigate and prosecute um, cases against the pharmaceutical companies, the um, uh, the drugstore chains, and in some cases uh, physicians, uh, just due to the way that they um, they uh, worded a particular part of this legislation that was uh, sponsored by this. And what really got me about that was there were at least two and maybe three or four of the high up uh, attorneys, prosecuting attorneys that were um, working with the Drug Enforcement Administration who, get this, are now top executives at pharmaceutical companies in just the last two years. Um, we're living in dangerous times in a lot of different ways. We talk about you know corruption, we talk about uh, um, o- government overstepping its bounds, uh, but that, that, I don't think that's gonna go away. I would hope for, you know, for uh, 
all the right reasons that Congress would really look into what's going on right now because for two DEA attorneys to quit their jobs at the you know one of the most respectable organizations and they're they're a um, actually they were under the Department of Justice they were Department of Justice attorneys that were assigned to the Drug Enforcement Administration they leave that job before retirement and they go become executives at pharmaceutical companies that just seems to reek with a little bit of potential problem but uh, nonetheless um, uh, we see those differently we see I, I don't see that as a well problem really, I, I I'm really concerned about that particular issue because. I do think that uh, government involvement in our health care, government involvement in trying to restrict um, uh, gun-related gun, uh, issues, and then now this particular situation, as, we've, as you mentioned, since the 60s, the, the war on drugs has been a miserable failure, mainly because of the way it's been handled at the top. So. Well, this has been a pretty wide-ranging show, as, as you promised at the very beginning. But let's try to take this back to the firearms world just before we go, because you sent out an email uh, just today, I think, talking about some super deals that we have available. Yeah, the one that I want to let everybody know before we go off the air today, um, our, our distributors just recently, um, I told you this was a buyer's market. They've lowered the price on a lot of things, but one thing that just caught my eye and I was just alerted to an, uh, by an email earlier this week from one of our reps. They have lowered the price on the Trigicon um, ACOG uh, ref- uh, sites by uh, about 15% um, right up front. And then in addition to that, because I think this is so important, these are, these are um, uh, illuminated sites that dual illuminated sites, meaning that you can use the fiber optics in the daytime and the tritium at nighttime, and they also have reticles that you can actually uh, do point A and point of impact at known distances, and you don't have to calculate in your head how much you have to shoot above the target in order to make the bullet hit the target. You can actually use the specific stages of the reticles to be, make a very accurate shot. They're pre-calibrated for specific ballistics, so yes. you you get the one for three hundred eight or for or for two twenty three. And, and they have uh, yard markings or meter markings on them already. Yep. And, yeah, they have the fiber optics that pick up the light, so they get the reticles get brighter in the daylight, but then they will only dim down so far. And at the very end, when, when it's totally dark or very dark, you have the, the tritium that illuminates it so that you have at least some light, yeah. no battery required on most of these. On most of them, correct. Some yeah. of them have a battery, some, but most of them do know it. But the point here is most people have avoided getting them because of the 1500 to $1,700 price tag. They're but pricey. when you look at, if you look at our store, our store page on our website, you will see that uh, they've lowered the prices and the range is probably, uh, their price listed there is $1,200 for you. Now, we're taking an additional 10% off that, so then say it costs 1250 bucks as an average. So we're going to take 10% off once you place your order. That's $125. Plus, on top of that, Trigicon is going to give you a $150 MasterCard gift card once you submit online or via mail or online for the rebate. So you're going to be looking at $1,000 for a $1,500 to a normally priced $1,500 to $1,700 optic. Now, I want to warn you, because this has just happened in the last week, they have been flying off the shelves because they've extended this offer to several other retailers uh, throughout the um, their the distribution chain. So where there was just at the beginning of the week, 10, 12, 15, there might only be two or three. So please take the time to go to our store 
and look at the Trijicon ACOG site. See if there's something there that you're interested in. Call the shop as soon as you can. Get your order in. We're requiring a $250. Because of the high cost, we're requiring a $250 um, down payment. And um, you can pay that by credit card over the phone if you want to do that. And we will go ahead and get that ordered. As soon as you call, we're going to enter it into the queue because we're dealing with real-time inventory with our new um, uh, store that we work with our uh, uh, distributors on. And if people are willing to pay for it directly, they can just go to our website and can they order it that way? No. Oh, they, you can't. You can't, can't make the payment that can't way. Make the but payment you can that still. Way. They gotta, you can place the order and say we want it, but then you're gonna have to pay. They're gonna it down call. Yeah, they're gonna have to call us. It. Yeah, let us know that they want it. Find out the one that they want, and call down to the store, uh, place the down payment, and we will immediately submit it via order to AccuSport. And once we submit it, it gets put into our inventory, and we'll have access to it within a day or two. The Advanced Combat Optic Gun Sight, which is what ACOG stands for, probably isn't for everybody. But if it's something that you've been looking for, if it's something that you've wanted to add as a, a an extremely reliable and very effective sight, optical sight for the AR platform or for any other platform for that matter, uh, this is a great opportunity. It's an optic that the majority of our um, military uses in the field. Um, it's a very durable uh, it's waterproof, uh, very, very durable. We had them on the SWAT team years ago in the early versions, and they stood up to a lot of banging around and um, um, shuffling around to the guns. Uh, it's, it's really a great option, and the nice thing about it is you don't have to worry about a battery uh, running out uh, if you're going to use it in a low-level light situation because it just draws on the ambient light that's around you. Yeah, and well, in the low-level light, it, it has the tritium tube, which, yeah. of course, is good for five to ten years depending on, on the tritium life. Um, and it, it's the same kind of sights that are on night sights, but then they use that to illuminate the reticle inside the sight. Right. It is one of the few gun sights that has really stood the test of serious heavy-duty abuse. Yeah, and I just want to re- reiterate that uh, you're looking at an already reduced 15% price from the um, distributors. We're going to take an additional 10% off on your order. Then once you pay for it, you can take that receipt and either submit online or mail in and get another $150 gift card back from Trijicon. It's a deal that I've never seen. I've mentioned many times that it's truly a buyer's market. That's a prime example. And I want to remind our listeners, it's already October 20th. That means Christmas is only two months and five days away. So it would be a great gift to tell your spouse, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, whatever the case might be, what you want for Christmas, this would be a nice gift, and anybody would appreciate this under the tree. Can't argue with that for a moment. Uh, thanks, everybody, for joining us for Shooting from the Hip podcast, and we'll be back here next week. Thinking about learning to shoot? Considering buying a gun? Want to enjoy the sport of shooting with a friend or family member? How about getting involved in competitive shooting? Sim Trainer offers all these opportunities and more. Visit, call, or stop by. Visit us at sim-trainer.com. Call the range at 293-3914 or stop by the range at 2031 Dryden Road. Then listen to the podcast by clicking the radio link at sim-trainer.com.